and welcome to episode 25 of Cinefleck. Um, I am your host, Ethan Colburn. Thank you guys for coming back. Another another episode, episode two of our Lord of the Rings marathon. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the first one. This is, <laughs> we are definitely drunker on this episode. I would probably say this is the drunkest of the three. And then uh, two, and then um, Return of the King was slightly more sober i would say we we had a drinking game on the show that involves white claws and coors light which uh liam will drunkly will, will drunkenly explain in the intro uh to this podcast but that's why i don't have a drink recipe up for this um hopefully you're enjoying this series uh return of the king will be out on friday so if you want a refresher all of them are up on hbo max right now so pretty accessible um hopefully you get a chance to watch that um and then i've got a really fun slate of christmas episodes uh to announce um on the next podcast so i will be announcing those on the next podcast as soon as i kind of solidify the dates and all those but um i've figured out my schedule through the end of the month and i i've got some really really good stuff on here i think it's gonna be really fun so i hope you guys enjoyed that uh without further ado let's get you into our two towers episode thank you so much for listening who now has the strength to stand against Isengard? And Mordor, and the union of the two towers. The strength of the ring bearer is failing, and the creature Gollum senses the ring is close. The thieves stole my precious, and we want it. Could you like some Doritos? No, I'm totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, uh, we have just finished our second Lord of the Rings movie. Alright, so everybody that's listening right now, we just watched the second Lord of the Rings movie in the same day. And we're, we're saving the third one for a different day. Yes. Which I think is a good call. Three Lord of the Rings movies in a day is... Is a lot. You know, quite the undertaking. Yeah, I agree. So in the first movie, we had a hint at the drinking game that we would play during the second movie. Okay, so I wish you guys could see Ethan and I sitting in the chairs in his studio. They're kind of like grand chairs. But they're low-key thrones. Two thrones for two towers? Slunt, like slouched, um, lounging. As one would say. <laughs> oh my god. Participating in lounge wear. No, that doesn't make any sense. I thought you said you weren't drunk. No, I am. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Now so, I'm not. No, now I am. So, <laughs> yes, you are. You definitely are. Do you want to explain, um, explain the, the game that you proposed to me that I some, for some reason agreed to? I would love to explain this game. Okay, so, as anyone that's watched Lord of the Rings knows, there are two wizards, Gandalf the Grey and Saruman the White. So we decided to make our own wizard staves. (laughs) That's a game. And um, to create the white staff, 
we drank White Claws, and to create the Gray Staff, we drank Coors Light. And when we finished them, we taped the tops and bottoms of them together. So my White Claw Staff is about it's probably eight five, feet. Like almost five feet? Five it's feet? about five feet. Um, even Sav is, is good too, though. You know, I mean, White Claws not, are skinny and not, tall. But, but mine isn't quite as impressive. I've not had as much as you, and the Coors cans are a little fatter. So. The Coors, the Coors cans are not as tall, but fatter. Yes, And I indeed. don't think I tape them as well, so they're sort of falling over all the time. But anyways, two Stavs, two Wizards. Two Towers. Um, two Towers. And bah, bah. two Thrones. Bom, 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 bom. In this movie, this movie, this movie, like I said in that last episode, is the George Harrison of the trio. Just underappreciated, underrated, um, great moments throughout. Just literally so epic. It's so epic. It's, it's so great. It's, it's so insane. great. It's a fantastic movie. Do you want to explain what happens in this movie? Well, I didn't do great that great a fir- job in the first movie, it's okay. so it's okay. <laughs> okay, so the second Liam, you're the, killing me right the, now. The second Lord so of the great. Rings. <laughs> yeah, the second Lord of the Rings. Uh, where do I begin? Um. Proto and Sam almost don't matter at all in this movie. They, they have their scenes. But let's be honest here. The real amazing re- reason why we all love the Two Towers is the Battle of Helm's Deep. And, and most theory. of the movie... And, yes, and the events that lead up to it. Yeah. So, we leave off with our heroes, Frodo and Sam, and they are making their way to Mordor. Yeah. And they end up meeting Gollum, and Gollum's like, I'm going to guide you through these disgusting valleys, and blah, 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 and, you know. But Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, now those guys are in a completely different story. Yeah. Co- totally. And at the beginning of the movie, they are trying to find Merry and Pippin, the other two hobbits, which have been captured by orcs. Orcs? On the way. I think he said orcs. Yeah, orcs. Isn't it orcs? Orcs. So they've been captured by orcs, and, um, you know, the elf, man, dwarf trio is hunting them down. And they realize they've tracked them down to the lands of Rohan, which are infamous for their horse lordship. There you go. Yeah, that well, that works. They horse. ride horses, and they, horses. they like to fight. <laughs> and they're great at both. So, the Lord of Horses, Lord Theoden, King of the Land, his mind has been poisoned by a person named Grima Wormtongue, which is like, okay, first of all... Why would you trust that guy? Why would you ever have an advisor with the last name of Wormtongue? Hi, my name's Wormtongue. I'd like to be your advisor. You should trust me with all of your plans. Literally all of them. I'm named after an insect. I'll be your. I'll be your. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> continue. So yeah, that's pretty dumb. So Gandalf and company, uh, who's been reborn as Gandalf the White after um, a quite, thousand year battle. Apparently, a, like. He just did a bunch of acid and was like, I'm going to go fight this Balrog in the tunnels of time Sounds for thousands right. of years. Anyway, Gandalf comes back and he defeats the poisonous cloud that has mischieved the Horse Lord's mind. And thus begins... The Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There's like, there's like an hour and a half in between that moment and the ba- Battle of Helm's Deep. This is true. <laughs> but... But, this, this but, begins... but it begins the background of the Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so... 
Gandalf has now freed the mind of Theoden, king of the uh, Rohirrim, who, by the way, in my opinion, is the goat actor of this movie. And I think you're probably right. I think that Theoden, Bernard Hill, you are the greatest of all time Lord of the Rings trilogy for the second movie. You deserve an Oscar. I know that Lord of the Rings 3 got an Oscar for Best Picture, but you deserve an Oscar for Best Picture for the second movie, which was unrecognized. You mean Best Actor? Best Actor. There you go. Yes. So, Theoden, King of the Rohirrim, decides that it is his best strategic move to retreat to the mountain uh, hold of Helm's Deep. Yeah. And, and thus, the most epic reason why everybody loves the second Lord of the Rings begins. The, I, 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 I mean, there's a lot in this movie to love, but literally Helm's Deep is it. Because I feel like every other battle... I, I, I genuinely feel like every battle, except for Helm's Deep, you feel like the good guys are going to win. Helm's Deep... There's a moment in there where you're like, there's no way. There's literally no way. Like, this is it for them. And then they do pull through. They they, they pull through, and daylight is upon them, and the elves come through, and Gandalf comes through, and they win the battle. But it's like, I think that's really the only battle in the series where you're like, how are they going to win this ever? I just don't get it. See, I would disagree, but we haven't watched the third movie yet, so I'm not going to put any spoilers, but it looks pretty bleak in the third movie, too. But, but you're, the, the orcs... The battle, the, at, the in the second gate? Yeah, in the second movie, right, in the movie we're talking about yeah. right now, they literally breach the inner keep. Yeah. Like, the last stand between men and the women and children. And it's done. There's like about, in the movie at least, there's about 25 people and yeah. like thousands of orcs. They are fucked. Yeah. They are royally fucked. And somehow, these men, because they are so fucking awesome, ride out on their horses and slay like hundreds of orcs until Gandalf and the Rohirrim ride in from the east and save them. It's almost unbelievable. But on the fifth dawn, look to the east. Right? Or whatever. It's like how long has this battle been going on? So But it's crazy. And you know what? Theoden, as much as like a anti hero as he was at the beginning, he was sick in the fucking ride out of the keep it into the light before Gandalf saved them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think that the one thing this movie does effectively is even when you disagree with with um, Theoden's t- decisions, you totally understand where he's coming from. Like, he hates Gondor because they don't show up for him. Like, they never show up for his problems. And he doesn't want to fight the orcs because he wants his people to survive. But you, un- you you totally understand every step of the way where he's coming from and why he's making the choices that he is, even though there's not the choices that you want him to make. So I think like that's very effective because it's not as if he's a villain that's like I, I, I actively trying to spite you. He's a good guy that's always trying to make the right decisions that sometimes... F- that, that, that sometimes frustrate you, if that makes any sense. And honestly, they the movies, at least, give me no reason to believe that Helm's Deep was not the right move. Yeah, I agree. Like, like Gandalf <laughs> scolds Theoden for being like, he retreats to Helm's Deep. Have you guys seen what Rohan looks like? It's literally a town on top of a hill. That can be easily surrounded, and Helm's Deep is a fortress. And it's all made of wood. It's literally all made of wood. They could just burn that shit. Yeah. Like, what? why is Gandalf so mad that they're retreating to Helm's Deep? Like, that was 100% the move. Like, Theoden was right. 
I think the problem is just that they can't escape from Helm's Deep because it's like a fortress. In, in it's true that like if they were overrun, they would be bad, and they were overrun until Ganoff came in, right? They were overrun and destroyed, but like their numbers were less than. The only reason why they turned the tide of battle is because they had the, um, the high ground. I have the high ground. I have the high ground. And they had horses. And, and horses. I'm surprised the orcs don't have horses. I mean, I guess they had the, those weird hyenas. We didn't talk about the hyena. Oh, before. yeah. So let's talk about another battle in Lord of the Rings that's totally underrated, just like we did in the first movie with the intro scene. Underrated battle? Underrated battle. Another underrated battle. There's two underrated battles in the second movie. What's the second underrated battle? The Ents. Oh, I mean, but the Ents is talked about. I, I think, like, I honestly think the only reason the Ents don't hold up as a battle as well as Helm's Deep is just because, like, the CGI. Like, I think that's the only reason. Because if it weren't for, like, the CGI is fine, but it's not beautiful. And if it weren't for, like, the CGI, I think it's, like, a way cooler concept that, like, the Ents are destroying Isengard. Like, I think it's super cool, but it's, like, the CGI, when you're looking at it, it's just, it's good, but it's not great. And so it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't immerse you in the battle the same way Helm's Deep, you're really in it. If that makes sense. Helm's Deep, you're 100% balls deep in the battle. Balls deep in Helm's Deep. You are balls deep in Helm's Deep. But, Isengard is a different storyline. It's true. It's true. It is literally... In, in, in Helm's Deep, you're the men versus the forces of evil. In Helm's Deep, Isengard? you are Isengard? nature. Isengard. Isengard, my bad. My bad. Sorry, I've had, like, many white claws. Ten. Or so. <laughs> you are nature versus industrialization. Like, that is what Isengard versus Helm's Deep is. And nature comes back with a vengeance. He's like, chest, oak nut, ash. These trees were my friends. You know what I mean? And he goes all... In on him, tree. I'm, t- I'm speaking about Treebeard and his tree friends, and they decide to go in Isengard. Right. I'm 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 trying to do the tree call. I'm not just making noises for no reason. And um, they're far superior strategists because the ants release. They destroy the dam above Isengard and release the river, and they go. Release the river. It's so bad. Or whatever. I, I clutched my white claw staff. Anyway, they they play such an important part because they, if they had not destroyed Isengard, the, the rest of the series would be not, not for nothing. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. And Merry and Pippin alone convinced them that that was the right move through Pippin's treachery, which is why Pippin is such an amazing hobbit, even though he has done so much bullshit over the course of of the movies thus far, this one deed in convincing Treebeard to just walk south instead of north changes everything. Changes the whole changes trajectory everything. of everything. Changes yeah. everything. Which is like Tolkien just... Oh my god, Tolkien. I wish I knew you. I'd give you a kiss on the cheek and a, stay at my mother's house and make you well, I mean, a Thanksgiving meal. I mean, I haven't even stayed at your mother's house. Though... <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien, um, Tolkien and Christopher Lee were obviously close. We talked about that in the last podcast, and um, yeah, Christopher Lee read these books every single year until the year he died. Like he read these books every year because of how much he loved them. The highlight of this movie is obviously Helm's Deep. Obviously, um. What other moments in this movie do you just love? Like, what what just stands out to you as, as amazing? Well, towards the end, Frodo and Sam have a heart-to-heart in Osgiliath. So for those that don't remember in Lord of the Rings, Sam and Frodo, for a majority of this movie, 
get captured by the Rangers of Gondor. For like half of this movie. Yeah. When when they when when their scenes come up in this movie, they are like mostly captured. And Frodo has this moment where he kind of escapes capture and sees a Nazgul and it like speaks to him and Sam tackles him out of the way and he goes and and uh, Frodo's like all hope and despair are lost like it is fruitless it is pointless our quest and he goes and there are some girl good in this world Mr. Frodo and that just really gets to me can I do the quote? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I've pulled up the quote. I'm going to do the whole quote. I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes... Didn't you... You, 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 you didn't know... <laughs> you, you, didn't want to, you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when such bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even in dark, even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it shines out clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folks in those stories had lots of chances for turning back, but they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are they holding on to, Sam? That there's something good in this world, Mr. Frodo. And it's something worth fighting for. And it's something worth fighting for. How, how was my Sam impression? Um, it was okay. I was stuttering more than Sam. Well, not that. <laughs> I think that it was an okay Sam impression. It was that. a. It was like an. It was like a fine Sam. I mean, I love. I love this man's. What an amazing speech! Yes, and it is not the last of Sam's amazing speeches. Yeah, Sam has an amazing speech coming up. Yes, he does. We will discuss that soon. In the third episode dun, dun, of this podcast. How does the... How, we were talking about how this is the first time you hear the Rohan theme in the movie. Because there's like a Rohan theme. What What is the Rohan theme? Now I'm forgetting it. It's like... Uh, I don't know. I'm drunk. It's not... <laughs> It's not the da 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 because that's the fellowship. Da 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 that's the Shire. But the, the Rohan theme is like the... It's cool, fine. though. I mean, it it works. Howard Shore is a god among composers. Howard Shore's great. Da 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 Pylon that sounds like it's just like sweeping through the wind across this like deep valley. God, it's so epic. Da 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 da. If there's da, anything da. that this story can portray upon anyone, it's like the naturalism. It's like you are in this place, the music, the acting, the feels, the costumes, the tales. The the nomenclature. It feels like you're there. It transports you to another world. It's true. I I I was very surprised by this movie in the sense that um, in the first movie, I think you get more screen time with with Saruman than this movie. Like it's his. It's his army that you're fighting, but Christopher Lee gets very little screen time in this movie, which oh, I'm yeah. always sure. I, I'm always like super surprised by. Like you, Christopher think, Lee gets very little screen time in general. But you'd think that this would be like Christopher Lee's movie because obviously he dies at the beginning of the third movie. If you're watching the extended editions, if you're not watching the extended editions, you don't see him die. But he dies at the beginning of the third movie. But you'd think that. 
this movie would be his moment, and you just really see very little of him. You're right. I think I never really thought about it before, but if he had his like moment of triumph, you know, before the good guys win, it would have been kind of cool. But like, where would there have been room for it? These movies are already so long. I think that Christopher Lee does an excellent Saruman, and he never even leads his armies like from being actually there. He just tells like these dumb orcs to like do it for him. Um. Okay, so I, I mean, this movie is really all about the Battle of Helm's Deep, but really, I mean, you've got you've got three you've got th- you've fundamentally got three storylines that you're switching between. You've got the Merry and Pippin storyline, you've got the Frodo and Sam and Gollum storyline, and you've got the Legolas, Gimli. Um, and, and Aragorn and Rohan storyline. Yes. And you're switching, I'd say pretty evenly through those storylines, but you're kind of focused mostly on the Rohan storyline. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Um, I'm not, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just wanted to like put that out there. Well, right. And I think, I think it's fair to say that like there, you're in the middle of this crazy battle scene and all of a sudden you switch to like Frodo and Sam being like. The ring was not meant for Gondor. It should just let us go on our quest. And then it switches to like Merry and Pippin being like, Hey, Ents, fight for us in this battle. And then it switches again to like Rohan and all of them fighting for their lives. But it does focus around that. But they do that for a very good reason. Like Peter Jackson knows exactly what he's doing. Who has a cameo in this movie throwing rocks at orcs? By no, the he way. throws a spear. Oh, I was, thought it was a rock. You're right, it was a spear. He throw Peter Jackson. You throw a badass spear into a rock uh, orc face. Yeah, he does a very good job. He does a very good job. You make a very convincing extra human being that <laughs> throws extra human being an extra. That an is extra. a human being that throws a spear. Um, yeah, he's great in this. Uh, yeah, no, but I mean, he's exceptional. Um, it seems like the bulk of the story is focused around the Rohan story, which, I mean, I'd say is pretty specific to this movie. I mean, the writers of Rohan play a major role in the third movie, but I mean, this is the movie for Rohan, and... I love Rohan. I love the kingdom. I love the idea of, like, you have this wider kingdom. It's sort of a more rural kingdom. It's not Gondor, which seems like the center. It's It seems like the central kingdom. It seems like it seems like Rohan is, like, the horse lords roam their lands that are, like, their rural lands. Like, I just... I and, believe that... And what, yeah, and what yeah. I said during the movie is, like, Theoden, who's the king of the, Ro- the Rohan kingdom... Low-key, the actor carries this movie. Not that it needed... Bernard Hill. Not that it needed to be carried. But, oh my god. If you look at any of the scenes that he's in... He's so good. He steals the show. So good. He's so good. So good. He's so good. Like, he single-handedly fills me with desire to go fight for my country. And this is like pre-Trump. Like, (laughs) post-Trump. I fucking hate America at this point, right? Like right. we all do. You know we all love points. But goddamn, if I don't want to ride a horse in the battle right now. Well, I don't think they ride horses anymore, and so I disappoint you. But I know what you mean. You're you're right. I am right, unfortunately. Um, yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. I feel like we should just like jump into like favorite scenes. Okay. Like, what would be like your favorite scene in this movie? Ooh, that is a really difficult one. I have a few. I really love when they're held up in the keep at the Battle of Helm's Deep and all seems lost. The orcs have overrun through their through their pure might of will. It's true. And all of a sudden there's like 30 riders that are like, they will ride out into the day just to go die, but take as many of them with them. And Gimli blows the horn. He goes like... 
then they just fucking ride out, and to no end, to no end, they ride out to meet their doom. That's an amazing scene. I think that the scene that Frodo and Sam are in Osgiliath, and Sam convinces Frodo to carry on, which you gave earlier, is probably my favorite scene. Yeah. I also think that this is the the hot take scene when Treebeard appears upon the line of broken trees and realizes for the first time that Saruman has been cutting down the forests and they decide to go to war with Isengard and he goes, these trees were my friends. By the way, the actor, I told you this, but the actor who played Treebeard also plays Gimli. John Rice davies does both characters in this, which seems pretty impressive. Those are two very major characters in the franchise. That is very awesome. So, good for him. Andy Serkis, who did Gollum, was, obvious, was, was brought in initially just to do the voice acting. He was like, oh, oh. He, they, they, they were like, oh, this is going to be a three-week shoot for you. You're just going to do the voice. But then they just loved the way he performed as Gollum so much that they were like, okay, we're just going to have him do all the Gollum. So, good on them. He's fantastic. Oh, Gollum is also an amazing, like, part of this movie that, like, would not have been as good as it was unless they had him. And, 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 and like, obviously, he doesn't, he doesn't play much of a role in the first movie. I mean, he doesn't play any, like... You see him from far away only in the first movie and in sort of a close-up shot of his hand, basically. Like, that's, like you only see him in glimpses in the first movie. So, so like, it's amazing that he's such an iconic part of the franchise, and yet he's only in two-thirds of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's exceptional in this. He based his performance also on heroin addicts, on... On heroin withdrawals, more specifically, which I mean, you can totally understand. I mean, he's going through withdrawals like from the ring, basically. Um, but yeah, like, like I think it's I think it's hard to sort of comprehend in in twenty twenty, what a full CGI character interacting with real humans meant in two thousand two, like. Like, I think the only real time it had been done for then successfully, because in Star Wars 1, The Phantom Menace, with Jar Jar Binks, that was also a huge, huge deal at the time. But, I mean, just to have, like, a full CGI character that's, like, interacting in a human world... And, you know, I was looking at, too, was it's crazy. like, they do a really good job because they blend all the scenes with Gollum. They're blending it in with the background. Like, all the backgrounds are gray. Yeah. Like, throughout the whole movie that he's there. And they're having him, like, almost be part of the environment. And it totally works with Gollum, too, because Gollum is supposed to be, like, a sulking creature that is not aggressive. He's, like, very much, like, in the shadows. And this almost works to their advantage because they're able to make that CGI more background than foreground and it works perfectly and it it enables them to allow it to hold up to today 2020 when it came out 20 years ago yeah yeah, it's crazy that it holds up as well as it does And, and, and like again I think the thing that we're talking about with the first podcast was just that like I think the reason it works is because it's used as minimally as possible I mean they don't try to like TGI the helicopter shots they're mostly using the New Zealand backdrop it's it's really mostly the actual place but you you get you get TGI when you need it in the spots when you 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 need like a castle on the hillside but overall they're 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 using a lot of practical effects like I mentioned they use they, they use almost all practical effects with the orcs which I think was a really good decision. And I think what this shows you is like if you if you were to remaster this movie, if you were to remaster the CGI that was done in this movie, it would look like the best movie you've ever seen. 
But, but if they were to remake this movie today, I think that they would over-CGI it in a sense that it wouldn't feel like it landed in the real world the same way this movie does. Yeah. It, and it I think feels that's what, like I think it's where The Hobbit failed. And that's exactly where The Hobbit failed. Because The Hobbit was like, let's CGI the shit out of this. And it just doesn't... It really... And do you remember there was a whole thing that was like, yo, we have this new camera and it can shoot in like this un this uncaptured before thing. Do you remember this? It, it was like it's whole, sixty like, frames a second. So so movies literally since the silent era have been thirty two frames a second. We're just really used to thirty two frames a second. So sixty frames a second feels to us like soap opera just because um the old standard TVs were interlaced, which means that they would have double the frame weight. And so and and, and and so for some reason, we as an audience associate a higher frame rate with a cheaper product. And that's exactly what The Hobbit feels like because it it's like it feels terrible. Mm-hmm. Like you watch it and you're like, this almost looks so good that it's bad. Yeah. And um, Lord of the Rings doesn't have that at all. Yeah. Totally. No, but The Hobbit surely does. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, The Hobbit is... Um, I haven't revisited The Hobbit in a while. I don't even think I've seen The Last Hobbit. I've seen the first two. It's the worst of them all. Stephen Fry is like in the second Hobbit, which is odd. The third Hobbit. I just, I just watched them all this week. The second Hobbit is the best, but it still sucks. And they all suck. <laughs> it's sad. I mean, it's sad that, like... It's sad that... I, I think the main problem with The Hobbit is just... I mean, if you look at these books, these books are, like, 350 pages each, maybe. Like, I'm just... I'm just estimating, but I don't know. Like, let's say, let's say the books are, like, 350 pages each. And they're each three-hour movies. The Hobbit is probably two-thirds of the length of one of the Lord of the Rings books. It's, like, 200 pages. But they turned that into three three-hour movies. So you just have to think about how much content they literally had to go through to make that three three-hour movies. It doesn't... It, it, it really deserves to be one three-hour movie. But obviously they wanted to make a, I, a, a bunch know, of money off it and it should have been one three hour this movie. is a, this is a hot take I think the Hobbit would have been fine as three 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 hour movies or whatever because Tolkien is such a exploratory writer like the movies would just be very different than what they are right now and um, I mean our podcast right now is not about the Hobbit right but we can talk about I can, ha- I can have a whole other podcast about the the Hobbit and why it's total garbo. The reason why The Hobbit is garbo is because there's way too much happening all the time. And there's so much time taken in Lord of the Rings to explain small things. Even though it doesn't feel like it because there's so much time in Lord of the Rings. Oh my god, the three trilogies together are like ten hours or whatever. Nine and a half. There are so many, there's so much detail given to small things in The Hobbit. It's like there's like two seconds given to this one ridiculous thing that we see this one time. Anyway, I think that my biggest take as a Lord of the Rings fan is the fact that the King of Rohan... What's his name again? I'm drunk, so I'm sorry. Theoden. 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 King. Theoden King. He carries this movie. I agree. And that is my hot take. Because without, like, he's, his acting, not only his acting, but his role and his lines. When you first meet him, he's this decrepit, old, poisonous king that was been poisoned by Grima Wormtongue. And he turns into this man that just says lines like, should fathers outlive their sons? Like, should the fate of man rest so weary on our courage and, like, shit like yeah. that? That's just, like, 
you're fucking awesome. Yeah. And he remains awesome into the third movie. He remains so awesome. Yeah, I mean, th- this movie this movie is so, so epic. And like we were talking about, I, I think it's just... It, um... Obviously, like, I, I don't think anyone, anyone can really compare to Return of the King just because everything sits on that movie. But there, there's something about just, like, everything that happens in this movie um, that... Yeah, I'm just... I'm so... Okay, so one thing we're talking about with this movie is just the character development that you feel, right? Because, like, Fellowship of the Ring, you have to get a lot of exposition. You have to just, like, explain the universe. You have to explain why we care about this ring. You have to explain Mm -hmm. why we care about destroying the ring. You have to explain the power that the ring has. And then by the time you get to the two towers, like, the two towers is really, I think it has the most character development, probably the three movies. Because, like, the last movie probably is the most, has the most payoff in the sense of the most paddles and stuff. Right. But the third, but, like, the second movie really has time to, like, sit with these characters and start to get to know the characters that you met in the first movie and you will get to see face their their toughest tasks. And that's what I talked about when we first started watching. I was like, the first movie feels really fast. Like, the first... When you watch The Fellowship, and I feel like that's the reason why most people that don't like Lord of the Rings, like, give up on it, is because it's, like, they think it's boring because it just, like, moves really fast and there's, like, not enough payoff. Like, Like, you don't really care about what's happening because it just keeps moving on and on and on and it's like blah 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 and it's fast moving but in two towers it it sets the tone for the trilogy it's like this is the epicness and scale of what's happening and it all leads up to this crazy battle where in fellowship you're like Okay, first we're in the Shire, and then we're in Rivendell, and then we're in the Isengard, and then we're, like, in here, and here, and here, and in two towers, it's like, no. Like, we're in Rohan, and and this kingdom is fucked, and then we go to war, and you see this war. Like, two towers has the character development, it has the, the ability to make you really enjoy what you're watching. A little bit more than the two tower. Uh, a little bit more than the first one. So, yeah. I I think there's a reason why Fellowship is the weakest, even though it's a great movie. I also think there's a reason why Return of the King got the Oscar. And I think that a lot of people that just watch Lord of the Rings casually, which is amazing, think that Two Towers is the best because everyone remembers Helm's Deep as the shit. But people don't understand that Return of the King is, like, where it's at. I would say it's probably the opposite. I, I would pers- I, I, I would personally say that, like, I think Two Towers has the character developments that you care about as a heavy Lord of the Rings fan. And I think as, I think as a casual Lord of the Rings fan, you care more about the big payoff that Return of the King provides. See, I would push back and say that there is actually more character development in Pippin, who's been nothing but a fuckhead until the third movie. Yeah, totally. Because he and Gandalf have a huge role to play in the battle of Minas Tirith. Sam, who's been nothing but a gardener that goes, Oh, Mr. Frodo, for the past, like, two movies. Huge role. Huge role. Huge Huge role. Aragorn's pathway. Yes, he really steps up in two towers, right? Like, I get that. Really? Yeah, he gets that because he, he starts leading his men. He's he's a nobody in the wilderness in in, in uh, Fellowship of the Ring, right? He's Strider. And then two towers is him transforming into Aragorn, leader of men. And then he becomes a king. I can't wait to talk about you back. You, you, you bow to no one. I right? can't wait to talk about that. Right? That's a great that's literally, a great scene. Literally one of my favorite moments. But like, three 
like Return of the King has the character development it turns Frodo into the like the hero like he's been the hero this whole time but he's just kind of been this hobbit that's like been moving along through luck and happen chance of friends and in the third movie he really takes ownership and like through his own will of being like enters Mordor and like faces Shelob and those orcs in the tower and climbs up Mount Doom like I I would think that the debate between two and three being the best movies of all time will never be won for Lord of the Rings but there's a reason why and I think that there's a reason why three won Oscar the Oscar I agree um I agree with all you're saying we have not yet talked about shadow effects We've not. I know he's your favorite character in Lord of the Rings. I don't know if he's my favorite character, but I think that Shadowfax... I think the concept of Shadowfax and just Shadowfax's introduction as a horse... Like, literally, you're looking at him... Okay, trivia question for all the viewers. Is Shadowfax a male horse or a female horse? What, what's the answer? Are you going to reveal it on this podcast? Or is, like, is that just like a question that you're asking to people? It's more just a question I'm asking. Okay, well, I can answer that for you. Shadow Effects is it's a, a lord of horse. horses. It's a male horse. And he is a lord of horses. And his character introduction, where he shows up, where he just like rides out of the field towards Gandalf, was done in one take. If you, like, put Shadowfax in the Kentucky Derby, he would win. And he'd get you a bunch of money. Shadowfax might actually be cheating in the Kentucky Derby. Why? Because he's magical. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess. But, like... (laughs) But, like, he'd win. Like, he is physically a horse. Like, and the rest of the horses are physically horses. Like... And he'd win. Hey, Arnold Schwarzenegger was physically a man, but he won Mr. Universe like ten times. Yeah, which, I mean, good for him. I'm happy for him. Anyways. It's the same argument. Uh, yeah, so I think that helps my argument, but we can stop there for now. Um, we talked about in the first movie how your, your favorite scene is when they think Gandalf is dead. And very quickly in this movie, you realize that Gandalf is alive because the first moment of this movie, which I think is an effective directing tool to cut back to like an action scene in the first moment of each movie to like remind you of the action that's ahead. Um, the first moment is a cutback to Gandalf fighting. What what's the creature called that he's fighting? The ants. No, 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 Gandalf. Gandalf is fighting the... Oh, the Balrog. The Balrog? Yeah. B-A-L-R-O-G. Balrog. Balrog. Okay, so Gandalf is fighting the Balrog. And, um... And he's falling, and he's, like, stabbing it with a sword and whatever. And, um... And... And and then you cut back to Frodo, and it's clearly in Frodo's dream. Mm -hmm. But Frodo might know something, right? So... You're at that moment realizing that Gandalf might be alive, but this is this is um th- th- this is new to you, as the first time viewer, and then Gandalf shows up. The White Wizard shows up for Merry and Pippin, and then later shows up for Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and and Gandalf has endured. An, a thousand year battle, which literally sounds so exhausting. I don't even know how it works, but apparently he's been fighting with the Balrog for a thousand years and just shows up and is like, "Yeah, I guess they used to call me Gandalf. Yeah. I don't even remember anymore." So, like, to this clarify, has been exhausting. To clarify, in the books, when Gandalf is falling with the Balrog and fighting with him, he like gets transported through this time in between space in reality and is fighting with this creature for like a thousand years so like in the movie when you see him he's like yes that's how they used to know me as Gandalf Gandalf the Grey it's like well like why are you being really weird about it it's cause like 
you've actually been away for way longer in your head than any of us know. You've been away for like three months or whatever. I'm honestly surprised that I can still like form words. Yeah, you're doing great, bro. I, uh, if, if none of you have known Ethan or me personally, then Ethan and I, we like to get very drunk. And, um, that's about it. Do you want to explain our friendship? Do you want to explain our friendship? No, no, I want, I really want, I really want drunk Liam to explain our friendship. <laughs> um, our friendship, okay. And, and does it more closely resemble... Pippin and Mary, or does it more closely resemble Frodo and Sam, or does it more f- closely resemble Legolas and Gimli, and why? But first, explain it. Okay. So, Ethan and I grew up in the same hometown, and we actually did not go to the same elementary or middle school together, but we went to the same high school together, although we did not ever interact, because we went to a high school of 2000, graduating class of 450, we did not interact. But Ethan and I ended up back in our hometown living with our parents um, after we graduated. And there is only one bar in all of Palo Alto, which is a very bourgeois, bougie town, which is terrible, that anyone that matters ends up at, even though the bar itself does not matter in and of itself. The bar, the bar itself matters deeply to me. This place was called Antonio's Nut House, and it was a dimly lit establishment that had high tables with very few stools and peanut shells on the ground. Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> And one night, I was really drunk with my friends from high school, and I saw an Ethan Colburn in the distance. And I and literally, my friend Adam says, that's Ethan Colburn from high school. I said, I don't know who that is. And he's like, go talk to him. And I was really drunk, and I was like, okay. And Ethan, I went over. We had a fun time chatting. Don't remember what it was about. Ethan invited me over to a trivia night at the Rosen Crown, another which bar is another Alto. bar that's not as important but is also pretty significant in Palo Alto, if not more significant to our friendship. To our friendship, I'd say it's more significant. Right. And uh, from there, those from there, a, a friendship blossomed, and here we are now talking about Lord of the Rings. Um. Being really fucked up with these claws and cores. And I'm so glad we met again. Like, what is this, over a year? It's It's been over a year since, like, it's been probably, we've been probably, like, buds for, I'd say, like, a year and a half or two. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I'm so glad we, we have been. This has been... It's been a good time. It's been really good for me, and, uh... I hope it's been rewarding. I agree as well. because Ethan hangs out with a lot of women, which is totally fine. <laughs> but I a, do. as a man, he needs some like male influence in his I life. Do. I need. I need you in my life. I need you in my life. <laughs> and I'm no. And I'm no authority on that. <laughs> uh, he's getting. He's getting the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. No, you're great, bro. And I'm very glad. I'm. Gl- I'm very glad we hang out. What are your thoughts on Gollum in this movie? Gollum is arguably the most important character in the whole series of Lord of the Rings. I agree with that. In all four books, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone was like, why didn't you just fucking kill him? And this scene and that scene and this... Old in time, why did he not kill him? He deserves nothing more. But without him, Frodo would never have gotten to Mordor. He would have no guide. He would have no journey to follow. And also, who would have thrown the ring away? I think Andy Serkis does a really good job capturing the humanity in him and the fact that, like... Like, I think if you compare him and Ian Holmes' performance as... 
Bilbo, you can kind of see how, like, Smeagol has had the ring for, I'd say, ten times as long. Like, it's, yeah, Smeagol's had it for, like, 500 years. But, like, my point is that you can see how, if you compare those two characters, how the power of the ring slowly corrupts. Where they both started off as good people. I guess Smeagol was one of the river people, which are related to hobbits. And you can start to see how it just slowly breaks down the body and the mind. And I just think it's 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 a warning for what's to come of Frodo. But it's also... It also just adds an interesting um, wrinkle to the plot in the sense that he's he's essential to everything they're doing, but you don't ever trust his motivations because he wants right. the ring for himself. Right? His, his motivation is the ring. And can we talk about his like multiple personalities and the cuts from like left to right, left to oh right? Oh my god, that show. scene where he's like, where he's like we can't trust master. Master is the only one we can trust. And then the yeah. hobbits is... Yeah. That, that, that is a great scene because it shows, like, multiple personalities without, like, making it weird. Like, making it unbelievable. So yeah, it's good. True. It's true. It's really good. And also, Faramir is great in the third movie, but fuck Faramir in the second movie. Faramir... Yeah. Son of Rohan, son, uh, brother of Fer- of Boromir. Uh, yeah, he totally fucks over Frodo a little bit. Yeah, 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 totally. And like, I think the thing that people ever, I, th- I, th- I think everyone talks about how Boromir screws Frodo over, but then I think what's lost is that Faramir arguably does more to screw Frodo over, but I think. Especially, like, performance-wise, Faramir is sort of portrayed as someone who's always trying to do the right thing, as opposed to Boromir is portrayed as someone who's being selfish. Well, I think think that Boromir, which is Sean Bean's character, he's not selfish. He's actually selfless to a fault, and he tries to assault Frodo and get the ring to restore power for Gondor, while Faramir... Has always felt lesser than because he's the younger brother, How and when he sees Frodo, he sees it as a way to redeem himself in his father's eyes, which we'll see in the third movie. Which you see in the third movie, and then you gain a lot more sympathy for Faramir. Faramir and his character, but Boromir says that he wants the ring to restore power to Gondor. That being said, I think that it's pretty clear that it's the ring's power that's corrupting him to to say and think these things. And it's not the fact that he's thinking about his kingdom. It's the fact that he's thinking about how he wants to carry the ring himself. And he's trying to justify it by explaining it through restoring power to Gondor. I, I don't think in that moment he's being selfless, if that makes sense. I would agree. I would just say that Faramir does not yet understand how he could re- wield the ring, but if he was in this, if he was older and older like Boromir and could see those things, that he would say the same thing. Yeah, like I feel like I feel like they are relatively the same character, but the the main difference between them is that Faramir lets them go, right? He lets he lets Frodo and Sam go free. So he might have a pure heart because Boromir does not. But Boromir also does let them go. He lets Boromir, Frodo go. Boromir, after he realizes he messed up, he does more to try to save them. I mean, yeah. he's literally I think he's they're, fighting I think for they're his almost life. the same. Like, I think they're, I think, almost, I think they're the almost on fair playing field in that sense. Um, so Gandalf comes back, the writers. Oh, and then and then the like the ring race. So the ring race come back in this movie. It's hard to believe that they're the same ring wraiths as the first movie because now they have dragons. Mm-hmm. They don't respire, but they're dragons. But they are dragons, and it's 
it, but it's hard to believe that they're the same kind of like crappy and this, and this horsemen. Is the, and this is where I think that Peter Jackson falls a little bit short. Yeah. The ring rates, the Nazgul, they suck. And they suck throughout the whole trilo- uh, trilogy. But they're they are they are powerless to anything that is important. But they're pretty effective in battle in the third movie, and and they seem pretty effective in this movie. But I I, I think what's what's weird is they just don't seem like the same characters. They fucking suck. They suck so bad. They're like the ultimate servants of evil, and they can't do shit, and they fail time after time. Like, why do they suck so bad? You tell them. Like, why do they suck? Literally tell them. I don't know why they suck. Tell they the just people. Suck. They just suck. Tell the people all, they, they have suck. horses, and then Eowyn defeats them at the river, and then all of a sudden, that you don't they don't matter until, like, the battle for Minas Tirith. They just don't matter at all. Um, is there anything we didn't touch on with this movie that you feel like we need to touch on in this episode? I mean, I think that the War of the Ants was still a little bit underappreciated. Yeah, yeah, well, let's, let's talk about the War of the Ants for a little while. Well, I mean... Like, how do you feel about that? I mean... It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I think... I think it's the, pretty crazy that eventually tree people, like, tear down a dam and just, like, destroy this kingdom and, like, flood it with water. It's very environmentalist and just, like, really cool. Yeah. I think that a bunch of giant trees fighting a bunch of, like, people is dope. And the fact that they are, like, tearing down the walls of civilization because the that civilization has cut down their trees, that's something that trees in our world don't get to do. It is a beautiful moment. I think the thing that's effective about this series is it's um it's optimistic but it doesn't seem or like it doesn't seem optimistic in, in, in like a naive way if that makes sense. Like it, it seems optimistic knowing what evil is in the world. Like it, it seems like it's aware of the evil that's in the world and still like no good res- good will still triumph o- over evil as opposed to like, if you watch a kid's movie where, like, the evil villain is, like, baha, he's all cartoonish, and you see the good guy win, you're like, well, that's not really what evil's like. I think that's... I think this, this movie understands evil and is still optimistic that good will triumph. And that's the beauty of Tolkien. Yeah. Because he was around with World War II, and they were, like, for a while, like, oh, man. Like, yeah, I don't, think that, I don't think we'll make it. There, like, peop- there were 100% people that were, like, this is the end of all order and freedom that we've known. Hopelessness is a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling that I think we've all experienced in some regard. And I think this movie does a good job of just like giving you the light at the end of the tunnel at every at every point. Like every point you right. think it's hopeless, like it doesn't it doesn't cheat you out of the feeling of hopelessness like like it lets you get to that place where you're truly hopeless but then it brings you back out to a place where you are um it 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 it, it brings you back out to to joy again and i think that all these movies just play with your emotions and, and, and the stories just play with your emotions so effectively in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when Aragorn is like, come over here, 13 year old boy, and they keep Rohan, let me see your sword. And he grabs the sword and he goes, This is a fine sword. We were all looking at it like, This is a terrible sword. This sword sucks, and you're probably going to die, because you are 13, and you're fighting the horse. And he actually probably does die. We don't see him again, so I'm sure We don't see him again, right? Like, that shit is crazy. And the Germans were those people, were the orcs. Like, they were the people that were like, yo, these people are fucking crazy. And good one. And good one. 
Yeah. And good one. And it wasn't... It was not without hope. I think the beauty about the end of this story, which obviously we're going to get more to in the next pod- podcast, is that um, you end with you are entering the realm of men. And you know from the prior two mo- from the prior two movies and books that men are imperfect. And so you know that there is a mix and, and, and so you know that there's a mixed bag in that, but it's not the pure evil that you get with Mortar and it's not the, it's not the pure good that you get with the elves. Um, amazing movie. Beautiful everything. Uh, Treebeard is my boy. Uh, I should probably get a Lord of the Rings tattoo. I don't know. Probably. Probably. That's my last thought. Um, what quote would you, what quote would you like to wrap up this episode with? All that who wander are not lost. I like that. Well, Liam, I look forward to our last episode. I'm... And this maybe it may so be a glorious episode. May it be a glorious episode. Um, I look forward to sharing that with all of you. Thank you for coming on for episode two of our extra of our extravagant of our Lord of the Rings extravaganza. Quiet trilogy has been quiet trilogy. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cineflag, and I will see you next week.